You're now listening to a Binge Bull Brain podcast, the show that teaches simple neuroscience-based strategies to ending binge eating, overeating, and emotional eating through the inside-out understanding of your habits. I'm Natalia, your host, and I'm here to help you create wellness without the obsession. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Binge Proof Brain Podcast. Today we are going to talk about therapy and eating disorder treatment. Can therapy help you in overcoming binge eating? And today's podcast episode was inspired by all of your messages you sent me after I published on my Instagram one post about therapy. So many of you said that this post really resonated with you. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. And before I start shit talking about therapy, I want to just uh, prefix this episode by saying that I really love and respect all therapists. I think that they do super important work because obviously mental health issues nowadays are on a rise. I personally know so many people who could definitely benefit from from therapy. So many people need the insight of an outside observer because they are unaware of their own patterns of behavior. I also think that for people who are not ready to invest in coaching, therapy is a great option. I often suggest uh, people to maybe look for help in therapy because at least there's a higher chance that Uh, it could be covered by the insurance. So financially, it makes sense to just go to therapy rather than try coaching. Because coaching, I think it's it's never covered by the insurance. However, if you seek help for depression, anxiety, or eating disorders, it is possible that your therapy could be covered by your insurance. So that's a great thing. Another thing I want to say is that I believe that Therapy is also a very individual thing. I think it efficiency depends on the culture, ethnicity, the country you're living in, also the whole healthcare system, and also your individual uh, story. I also believe that finding a therapist who had uh, eating disorder themselves, I think that it's a large factor that can determine whether. Uh, that therapist is helpful for you or not, because what often happens is that therapists who are not specialized in eating disorder, they might give you unhelpful advice. Uh, So it's just something that you're supposed to keep in mind. And I'm sharing all of that with you because after listening to today's podcast episode, you may think that I'm opposed to therapy, which is not true. Today, I will be mainly talking about problems with therapy, but I I don't want to neglect the the benefits. I mean, (laughs) in today's podcast episode, I will neglect the benefits of therapy, but I want you to know that I am aware of them and I'm not like against therapy uh, whatsoever. (laughs) And also, please remember that my opinion is very subjective and it's based on my own kind of laughable experience. Uh, So... I, I had therapists uh, in the past. Uh, the question is, did I receive help? I would say, yes, I did. Was it worth the money they charged? Probably no. 
would I do it again? Yes. <laughs> so I think that even though therapy wasn't life-changing for me, I think that it was helpful enough for me yeah, to make some kind of change in my in my approach. Uh, I believe that brief, well-targeted therapy is, is really great. And you know, during my, my first therapy, I discovered Beck's model of depression and cognitive behavioral therapy for depression is based on that model. So basically, I discovered the self-coaching model, a think, feel, act cycle, thanks to my therapy. Thanks to my therapy, I, for the first time, I realized that I'm not that I'm not my thoughts, <laughs> that my thoughts are not true. So just this fact really helped me in my life. But in today's podcast episode, we are going to focus on problems with therapy. <laughs> so, okay, the first problem I see is that therapists are trained in seeing problems. Have you ever heard the term medical student's disease, also known as second year syndrome? So it is a condition frequently reported in medical students who perceive themselves to be experiencing the symptoms of a disease they are studying. So basically what we are paying attention to, we also start seeing symptoms of it. For example, I have a friend who started reading and listening to YouTube videos all about the narcissistic personality disorder and she started to have a suspicion that she may have it as well. <laughs> and you know what? She's the kindest, the sweetest person on earth. And just because she got interested in narcissistic personality disorder, she thought that, oh my God, I may have it. So that's that would be basically the example of medical students' disease. But you may also experience that. For example, you saw somewhere the article uh, about, I don't know, red flags in relationships, and all of a sudden, you start looking for them. If you are listening to some podcast about how your neighbor can be a psychopath, you start looking for signs that your real neighbor is a psychopath. But coming back to the therapy, I once heard a story about the therapist who attended some kind of conference and seminars every year. And each year, that conference had a different uh, main theme. And for example, one year it was bipolar disorder, this, then another year it was OCD. And after each conference, that therapist would diagnose most people with their uh, with the mental illness that the, that conference was about. <laughs> Wait, how can I say it in a different wor words? So for example, if one year he attended a conference all about the panic disorder, then that year following uh, attending that conference, he would see more people with panic disorder. <laughs> so each year he diagnosed uh, more people with that specific disorder that he learned more about. So what, what I also want to say is that, you know, when you get to know something better, you are looking for it. So you may be changing your own narrative in your own head to fit 
their reality. And I also watched that with many people on YouTube because I saw some people jumping from one diagnosis to the other one. I specifically know a Polish uh, YouTuber and I think that at the beginning she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which later became a borderline personality disorder. I think she also had, um, you know, ADHD. And <laughs> so, so you know, it's, it's a diagnostic mess. And I also saw other people, you know, how many people you know right now who realize that they may have a ADHD or they might be autistic, uh, on the autistic spectrum and so on. So... The, the more we learn about something, sometimes the more we see it. So the next, um, and it's connected to my next point about the therapy, and it is diagnosis itself, that sometimes diagnosis is a problem. We need to remember that diagnosis itself, it was ev- in- invented to help healthcare providers to know better what they are dealing with, to recommend better treatments also for insurance companies that's why we need we need dsm the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders but what we forget is that this manual is for healthcare providers for them to recommend better treatments and for insurance companies to to cover for their medications or treatments so the problem with therapy is that sometimes you find out about your diagnosis and it becomes your core identity. You start identifying with your diagnosis. So you start fusing with it and you start using it as an excuse, believing that this diagnosis will stay with you forever. And we forget that that all diagnosis, diagnoses, <laughs> I don't know what's the plural form, they are all made up. So binge eating disorder was made up. We made some characteristics uh, of it. We put it into a book and now we collectively agreed that, okay, binge eating disorder, um, those are the signs and symptoms. But you know, a couple of centuries ago, we didn't have a term for binge eating disorder. So when you start believing that you you are binge eater, you start to believe in an illusion. Remember, diagnosis is it, made up. Every diagnosis is made up by humans. Somebody made it up. And of course, sometimes diagnosis is super helpful. It helps people and their life starts to make sense when they receive some kind of diagnosis. They feel relieved. They feel seen. They feel validated. They might get some medication that is helpful for them. But it's not always helpful because you are not 100% of time your diagnosis. So let's say that you've been diagnosed with binge eating disorder. It doesn't mean that you are binging 100% of time. Even people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia or depression, they are, they are not having symptoms all the time. Even a person with depression, they can sometimes laugh. They can sometimes forget about their lower mood. So the problem starts when we latch on diagnosis. And we have to remember that our mental illness is often a result of insecure thinking contaminated thinking because we start believing all of those faults and they in a way uh, become our reality. 
So if you latch on your diagnosis, you are locked in that place, uh, believing that you will struggle forever. And guess who loves that idea? That you are your eating disorder and you're going you're gonna to struggle forever. Of course, your ego loves this idea. Now it has the idea that you are broken and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm speaking from my own experience, you know. When I was depressed, I was totally in a victim mode. I believed that I can't do anything because of my depression. I used it as an excuse to totally uh, shut down and do not engage in any positive experiences. I was hiding behind my diagnosis. Also, in case of binge eating, I also I, I was also hidden behind my label of binge eater, even even after recovery. You know, one one time I remember I was in a bad mood. I think I had my wisdom tooth removed. Uh, I was in in pain, and I said to my boyfriend that oh, I would love to just you know dive deep into comfort foods, and you know, silly he. What he did is he just went to the shop and brought back a lot of comfort foods. And I was actually very angry. I was angry at him because I thought that what a silly idea. Like, come on, I'm a ex-binge eater and you are bringing me this, this comfort food. Like, you shouldn't do it to a person who used to struggle with binge eating. Like, I don't want to evoke again th- those same habits. So you see, even after my recovery after when when I had a normal relationship with food, I was still ha- in a way latching onto that, that idea that I used to be a binge eater. So I'm going to be a binge eater forever, or at least I'm going to be prone to relapse. So I should never treat food as a comfort food, or I should never treat food, or I should never even eat in other reasons than for for fuel, <laughs> which is a silly idea, and I totally uh, dropped that idea. But you know, for a for a while, I did latch into that idea that I'm an binge eater or I'm an ex binge eater, and I'm different than everybody else, and I have to be all the time on guard because I might relapse anytime. <laughs> but this wasn't like relative truth. This was just my thinking, right? And all mental illness. What is it? It it's just our thinking, our contaminated thinking. And because thinking is formless, it is always subject to change. So our mental illness can change when we start thinking differently. Another problem with therapy is that you can't think your way into the happiness. So please um tell me, do you find yourself trying to think your weight out of binge eating habit. Let me tell you, in my opinion, you can't really think your way out of the problem you thought your way into. Think about what led you to eating disorder. You might have got into eating disorders because of your thinking brain. You started dieting, counting calories, restricting, and so on. So instead of eating intuitively and listening to your body, you let your left brain come up with some rules. You started labeling yourself as a 
good eater, bad eater, healthy eater, unhealthy eater. You started judging your less healthy eating choices, etc. So thinking about rational ways of getting out of binge eating habit, it further activates your rational left brain. And I believe that this is the part of you that got you into the trouble in the first place. As Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So trying to think your way out of binge eating during therapy is using the same thinking that created the problem in the first place. Instead of trying to use your rational, analytical uh, part of your brain to think your way out of binge eating, it would be better for you if you would try letting your intuitive uh, self to guide you towards food freedom. Well, actually, to make better food choices, we, we, do, we need to use both. We need to bo- use both cognitive and emotional processes. And binge eating might be a side effect of this unresolved inner conflict because there's a disconnection between your emotional and rational self. But to feel, we sometimes need to let go of uh, conceptualizing our emotions. So those are the things that you you could, um, you know, your therapist could indicate you that, oh, this is a problem. Maybe this is something we have to work on. But you do not have to go like super duper deep into your problems. In my opinion, you don't have to go that that deep. So the bad part about using your rational brain to recover from binge eating is that the more we think about something, the more complex it gets. So, you know, I love psychology. I used to read a lot of like psychological and pseudo-psychological books You probably know what I mean. Maybe you are the same. Maybe you also read all of those self-help books. And you know, when you start analyzing all of your behavior, all of your patterns, you start going back to your past in your mind. I don't know. I, I kind of think that this is unhelpful because you just get deeper and deeper into the spiral and it leads to, to nowhere. And when you start thinking so much about your past, it takes you out of your present moment. And as Buddha said, the secret of health for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, worry about the future or anticipate troubles, but to live in the present moment wisely and earnestly. Also, I think that talking only about yourself during the therapy, thinking about yourself, your past, your problems, overanalyzing yourself, that makes you self-absorbed. And unfortunately, I have to use another quote from Wu Wei uh, to indicate what, what could be the solution. And the quote is, Why aren't you happy? It's because 99% of everything you do and think and say is for yourself. And there isn't one. Think about when you do feel the happiest, the most content, the most in love with life. Probably when you don't even think about yourself. When you forget that you exist. When you are one with nature. When you see the joy on your kids' faces. And when you are in the flow, when you are in the moment. So for example, I love myself the most when I don't think about myself at all. Because we forget about ourselves and we just immerse ourselves 
in the moment and this is when we are most content. So when we start thinking about ourselves too much, our ego gets activated and we'll always find something, we'll always find some some problems, right? Because if I'm going to start thinking about even good um, good things about myself, at some point that list is going to end and I'm going to start thinking about the negatives about myself. And there's one more question I want you to ask yourself. What is that leads to development of expertise? So in order to become an expert in something, what do you need? You need time and attention. So we develop more expertise on things we spend more time and attention in. Now imagine yourself in therapy, talking about yourself, your problems, uh, your unhelpful patterns and so on. You become an expert in what's wrong with you, (laughs) right? Can you see it? That when you go to therapy, sometimes, I mean, talking to a therapist can be helpful. Sometimes you just get something off your chest and move on. And this is great. This is how it's supposed to be. However, there are some people who just believe that once they discover something about themselves or once they fix something that is broken within them, that everything will be everything will be all right after that moment. And that's that's not true. And in in that case, for those people, you know, talking about their problems, talking about what they are lacking in life, um, what they should improve in their life, did that that leads to development of expertise in what's wrong with them. And that just keeps them in a bad mood, low mood, low level of consciousness. Another problem with therapy is that talking about your problems gives them meaning. And of course, I'm not saying that you have to ignore all of your problems, but sometimes focusing on your problem isn't that helpful. Like, I want you to ask yourself, do people with regular healthy relationship with food, do they go to therapists and do they talk about their food intake? No. Do people go around and talk about all the practices that make them happy? Not really. You know what? But people who fight with depression, they will do that. (laughs) They will record 60 second reel with five tips for better mental health to convince you and the whole world that they are happy. So what I'm trying to say is that not having a depression means not talking or thinking about depression because talking and thinking about depression gives it meaning and power and then you become also an expert in your unhappiness. (laughs) Not having an eating disorder means not talking or thinking about your eating disorder or your eating patterns because thinking and talking about it gives it meaning and power. Of course, unless you are a coach and then you have to do it for work, like I do. (laughs) So remember that your time, attention, where you give your time and attention, it really matters. So where your attention goes, energy flows. You really need to be careful what do you pay attention to, where do you devote your time, what problems do you give meaning to. And the funny thing about problems is that they often solve 
themselves without your intervention. Do you know that we have immune system, right? <laughs> it's pretty common knowledge that we have immune system. But what many people don't know about is that we also have psychological immune system that helps you to protect your emotional well-being. And how do I know that? Well, I told you a little bit about that in the podcast episode about the ironic way change really works. Um, I indicated that, you know, sometimes when you try, so sometimes the harder we try, the worse it gets. And it was my experience with, for example, my uh, recent depressive episode. And maybe you know that from your own experience. <laughs> I don't know about you, but what helps me is, for example, going to sleep. Just sleeping sometimes solves my problems. <laughs> sometimes, you know, in the evening, I will have those intrusive thoughts. My brain will offer me many thoughts and will indicate me many problems that I have in my life. But if I manage to go to sleep in the morning... The, the problems are solved. The problems aren't even seen by my brain as, as problems because I do have a new uh, influx of fresh thought and this helps. So th this is how your own psychological immune system works, that there is uh, upcoming new thoughts, new fresh thoughts. They solve the problem because all of a sudden you even stop seeing problems as problems. <laughs> And I also see it in my own coaching practice, you know. Sometimes a, cli sometimes a client comes to, uh, comes to me with one problem. I suggest them some uh, solutions. Then they come to me another week, next week, and I ask them about that problem. They didn't do anything what I suggested them to do. However, the problem was solved and another problem appeared, right? So this is something um, that definitely you can observe in your own lives. So sure, all of those techniques, tips, step-by-step -step methods, uh, they are kind of helpful, but they are also sometimes unhelpful. <laughs> Because what I see in my coaching practice is that, you know, I may offer many solutions, stress management te techniques to my clients, but Many of them just don't have time to do them. They just even forget to, to do them in the moment. However, people are still helped. They feel like something improve, improved. Their problems were solved, even though they didn't have to do anything about that. They didn't have to actively pursue solving those problems. So if you are facing right now some kind of problem, maybe you don't need another brain hack, you don't need another tool in your toolbox because probably you're gonna forget to use them anyways. So maybe in those moments, all you need is clarity. You need to get quiet and the benefit of you know clarity and peace of mind is that it is always with you. It is always available to you. You don't need to remember to do something, all you have to do is get quiet and wait for another fresh thought to appear. And sometimes what may, what may appear is another problem. Probably not when you have clarity of mind, but probably when you are, you know, hectic in your, in your mind, when you have a lot of thoughts, then another problem will reappear. 
And it is just the part of human life, constant flow, constant flow of new ideas or old ideas, problems, solutions, and so on. So this is the part of human life. And the best thing we can do is accept it instead of try to fight with it. We are all the time recycling old ideas. And sometimes all we have to do is wait for a fresh fault to pop up to solve that problem or fresh fault will help you to realize that there was not any problem in the, in the first place. And coming back to what I said uh, earlier, that you cannot think your way into happiness. I also think that you can't always think your way out of the problem because that new fresh, new fresh thought, they do come up when when you are in nature, when you are on holidays, when you are under the shower. So those new ideas, they come to you in a least expected moment. When you, when you are not thinking about solving your problem, then the solution comes to you. So if you struggle with repetitive, intrusive thoughts, the solution usually isn't to talk about it, to try to find a deeper meaning in it or try to solve it with your rational brain. The solution is to dismiss it as neurological junk. Don't give it attention because it grows when you give it attention. Just get quiet, wait for a fresh thought to come up. It's possible It's possible when you understand that the nature of, of thoughts, the nature of human experience. Okay, at the end of today's podcast episode, I want to give you a couple of stories, a couple of opinions from the eating disorder recovery community. So I'm going to quote or paraphrase a couple of uh, comments I found online. So a couple of them talk about how therapy could be helpful. And this is their first opinion. By talking about it in therapy, I was for the first time able to remove myself from my disordered thoughts so I could begin to form the opinion that they were ridiculous. I felt my thoughts didn't reflect the mature and rational person I believed myself to be. Witnessing my words in therapy made it exponentially easier to let go of eating disorder. Opinion number two. The aspects of therapy that were helpful for me and still use were more assignment-based, such as journal prompts, reframing exercises, perspective shifts, etc. They are more tangible and useful than let's talk about this or that. Opinion number three. The part of therapy that was invaluable for me personally was having someone to validate my feelings and listen to me talk, which I did not have otherwise. Now I would like to share with you three opinions about therapy for eating disorders. However, in this case, the opinion says that probably therapy wasn't that helpful. So this is opinion number one. They were all dismissive when I tried talking about the science behind eating disorders. For therapists, it is apparently just emotional. Opinion number two. When I told them the reason for my eating disorder, they just started making shit up about my feelings and told me that I just wanted to differentiate myself from my family and that it is for attention. Opinion number three. 
I've done a ton of therapy and finally just stopped. I felt like it kept me stuck constantly rehashing this and that, whereas without it, I was able to move forward in life and whilst not yet being recovered, I've come a lot further than I ever did with it. Opinion number four. I hated therapy because the conversation always had to be negative. I felt like my therapist never wanted to just talk about positives in my life and kept trying to get me to cry. That was all for today's podcast episode and I just realized that my podcast also talks about, you know, binge eating problem, how to solve the binge eating problem. So I'm wondering... Does my podcast contribute to lowering your mental health because it brings eating disorder issues on the front of your mind? Oh God, I don't know. (sighs) Well, I'm not sure exactly how to talk about mental health and how to help you overcome binge eating in a way that isn't focused on your problem. Well, well, this is something I have to think about (laughs) in what way I want to help you overcome binge eating without you giving it too much meaning. So stick around to see what's coming in the next next podcast episodes. Even even I don't know. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much for listening to me today. Have a great day and see you in the next podcast episode. Bye! If you enjoyed today's podcast episode and you would like to stay in touch with me, Make sure to follow Binge Pro Brain on Instagram and if you are ready to take this material to the next level and apply what you've learned, then go ahead and submit your coaching application for my Binge Pro Brain coaching program. Thank you so much for joining me today and have a great day. Bye!